Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Uh, Good morning, Fred. Good morning. And it's not morning for our guest. Joining us today is (laughs) Dr. Lele Shinohara, co-partner and vice president at RoboSense. Thank you for joining us, uh, Lele, and you are in China. Uh, yes, I'm in China right now, so the, it's not a good morning here, it's the evening, but it's a good morning to you. RoboSense is a maker of LiDAR technology with half a dozen global locations, including China, the U.S., and Germany. Some congratulations are in order. RoboSense this month was named a finalist in the 2020 Edison Awards, which honor innovation and innovators. This is for your RS LiDAR M1 uh, the world's first and smallest MEMS smart LiDAR sensor to incorporate sensor hardware. I'll let you describe it for us uh, further, Lele, and, and how this is a game changer. Uh, yes, of course. So um, the, our the IS LiDAR M1, so the, and the, we have basically we have the two version. So the first is a simple sensor like most of the other sensors to provide the, only the point cloud. So then, which is a direct detection of the environment. So then, on top of this is a point cloud. We do have our the in-housing designed AI perception algorithm. So together with the uh, smart SOC inside of the sensor. So then, the algorithm is running inside of the sensor. So then, the sensor can detect not only just to detect the point cloud, but can process the point cloud to be able to detect the object and to classify what kind of the object it is. So then, for example, it can tell all the, uh, the out, and if this object is a car, a pedestrian, or a, a bike, something like this. So then, which is output directly the meaningful information for the autonomous driving vehicles. So this is different from, uh, I guess, uh, the more traditional, if we can call it traditional, spinning mechanical LiDAR? Uh, yes, from the hardware side. And so then we call it, this is a solid state LiDAR. So then uh, in compared to the, the, the let's say, the, uh, the standard spinning mechanical LiDAR, so then we are using a MEMS meter to just a very, very tiny the MEMS meter to deflect the laser beam and to scan the environment. So then uh, also on top of this is the uh, uh, hardware. So then we do also have the uh, AI perception algorithm inside. So then which is quite different compared with the uh, current uh, the spinning mechanical LiDAR. And so then the difference including, so uh, for example, uh, with the traditional spinning mechanical LiDAR, and the, opt- the uh, moving part is quite a lot. There are hundreds or even the thousands of the components are moving inside. So then with uh, the new, the MEMS LiDAR, we only have one very, very small the, uh, the meter, the memory meter is the moving part inside. So then which made the sensor is much, much stable. The reliability is much, much better, better than the, uh, the, let's say the standard the mechanical spinning LiDAR. And the size of this unit and the accuracy are a big part of this picture. And that size also, I guess, uh, enables you this to be 
mounted more more easily in a vehicle. Uh, that's true. So then, because our this is the MEMS the lidar, so from the beginning we designed this as a, as an automotive grid. And also, it's easy for the integration into. Uh, I mean, the integration is to integrate the sensor into the uh, the uh, vehicle's body. It's uh, unlikely the current uh, uh, mechanical spinning lidar. Most of the time, so we the uh, the customers they put uh, the sensor on top of the vehicle. So then, with the MEMS lidar, because of this very small size, the compact size, it can be integrated into both the front grill area or even behind the windshield to to put on somewhere which is well integrated into the car to not uh, destroy the uh, with the houses outside the fitting or the visual of the vehicles. What about pricing? Tell us about how that how that's going to work. Uh, yes, the price is getting reduced uh, very, very dramatically. So then the, now the mechanical spinning light uh, is quite easy to go the uh, couple thousand, even the couple ten thousand US dollars. So then with our the, um, the uh, MEMS lighter, so then uh, our the, the, the prototype, the, the sample, Price we just have uh, announced the couple of months ago, which is uh, eighteen hundred uh, US dollars. So then, and the, the later when it's going to the mass production with the uh, the OEMs to have a certain big volume. So then this uh, the price can go down to a couple hundred US dollars. So you expect to have this available once it's in mass production for a couple hundred dollars? Exactly. Yeah. Lele, what, what can you tell us about your partnerships and, and bringing this technology to market? Uh, yes, we, we do have a couple of the partners, for example. So on the, from the end of the, uh, 2018, our strategy is the strategy investors, the Alibaba Group. So then they are as our the first partner, uh, but that is not for the autonomous driving and the passenger cars. So then their application is using um, the LIDAR for their the autonomous delivery is vehicles. So then this is the first partner. So also the last year we have started the collaboration with uh, the first auto, the FAW, the Chinese automakers. So then we are starting uh, this collaboration to do the development, uh, do the develop, uh, do uh, let's develop the lidar for their the level three, level four automotive autonomous driving platform. So then we are also have some other uh, uh, tier one and the OEM partners, but it's at the moment I cannot uh, uh, tell the name uh, their names. So, but we do have uh, some more the uh, partners who worked very close to bring the sample, to bring the product into the mass production. You know, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the impact uh, the coronavirus has been having uh, around the world now. Uh, what's been your perspective of the impact on your operations there in China? Uh, well, this is uh, exactly so. Then, and uh, we see that recently this is a, a virus issue is really really impact on on the auto the automotive the supply chain. So then, some of our the uh, the supplier or the supply chain has also some the impact, but uh, the uh, the luckily. We're not yet let's say, in the big mass production phase, so that it do not have any the impacting on our uh, the development. 
And so then also we uh, immediately find the uh, the second source to our the second suppliers to continue to or the, let's say to bring up our the prototype our samples to the market. At the moment, it's not uh, so much impact uh, on our the operations, but uh, we do save is uh, uh, there is the problem. For example, uh, before we have the planned quite uh, some. Uh, the customers meetings and neither is meeting in our the headquarters in Shenzhen or meeting uh, in the in the, the other countries in US or in the Europe. But now because of the virus, so then this those kind of the meeting now it's changed to the uh, let's say the WebEx meeting or the uh, this online meetings. Uh, there are certain the impact, uh, but not so big. Yes, it's it's good to hear that it's not really having um, that the virus isn't having a an, a, an effect on your on your development. Um, uh, we're a little begin to beginning to worry a little bit here in the United States because uh, uh, some people are beginning to I think overreact to all of this, and um, hopefully um, uh, it really won't. Uh, uh, substantially curtailed uh, uh, the advancement of all this technology. I- I'd like to ask you um, a-, a particular question with respect to your system and whether or not you've you've actually done the testing. Uh, and this uh, comes into play with respect to some things uh, and, and information that's coming out of the National Transportation Safety Board, especially uh, dealing with uh, uh, a few of the crashes that Tesla has had with its vehicles. And, and it's, it's basically identified uh, um, or a, a, an issue with, with these systems uh, to deal with uh, stationary objects in the lane ahead. And, uh, and appropriately um, not only recognizing them, but more importantly, uh, being able to determine whether or not um, uh, there is sufficient clearance under a stationary object ahead uh, for a vehicle to safely pass underneath. And it seems as if um, uh, the systems that, uh, that have gone into uh, mass adoption, for example, autopilot uh, uh, with Tesla, uh, aren't really able to uh, determine um, if there is sufficient clearance uh, underneath an object uh, that is stationary in the lane ahead. And because of this inability to reliably determine this, uh, they basically disregard those objects and the systems disregard those objects. Um, uh, and uh, what's the fundamental problem with your driving down the road is you often encounter objects in the lane ahead that you can readily pass under overpasses being one of them, traffic lights hanging over the lane ahead, um, uh, tree canopies, signs. And so if uh, uh, in the detection of these, uh, one can't reliably uh, determine whether or not there's space underneath to pass safely underneath, uh, what's been, uh, I guess, the practice to date is to disregard these objects. And so that's good when it's an overpass. It's certainly not good when it's a fire truck uh, that is parked in the lane ahead, or it happens to be uh, the end of a um, a barrier. Um, does, do you think that that your technology allows 
uh, for the uh, reliable determination of this clearance uh, under objects ahead? Um, yes, exactly. So the uh, which you mentioned, for example, the, uh, I remember it was in 2016, the first the accident on the autopilot happened. So then after that time, I remember, so then the LiDAR the product immediately get a quite a big, uh, the, uh, let's say the market or the, uh, the hit. So then a lot, a lot of the OEM makers, so, uh, they realize the importance of the LiDAR. So then, uh, so the, uh, the, the, let's say the LiDAR, the beauty of the LiDAR is uh, really, really is able to, to cover the, the, uh, the shortage of the camera and the radar system. So then we see the uh, the radar system until now, most of the radar are very, very re reliable for the moving, for the dynamic object. But it's for the uh, stationary object, as you mentioned, and also for some of the small obstacles which are falling on the road. On the road, so then they for those kind of the object, the radar is very it's let's say difficult to to see this kind of the object. The same as the camera, because the camera is uh, for the accuracy of the, uh, the the distance detection. So then it's also have this kind of shortage, and more uh, over for the camera is when. The light changing, uh, the light conditioning changing uh, uh, a lot. For example, if you are driving the, from the uh, outside of tunnel into the tunnel, or the from the into from the tunnel get out of the tunnel, so then this kind of the light condition changes is can but blind the camera for the couple of seconds. So then, if there are something on the road, and if you rely on, rely on fully on the camera, so then this may occur some the accident. So then therefore, and the, uh, including the LiDAR, the LiDAR is very, very good for uh, the stationary object detection more precisely. So the uh, LiDAR is very good for the free space detection. Yeah. So then uh, we, we discussed with a lot of different customers and also demonstrated uh, the, reliability, the reliability of the LiDAR to do the free space the detection, also to recognize the small obstacles and the stationary, the stationary ob objects on the road. And so then and to, 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 together with the camera and the radar, so then our the, uh, proposal is, or let's say the, our the main the perception architecture is including the camera and the radar the, in addition to have the LiDAR. So then with the three and the uh, sensor systems, the, the fusion, so then we can uh, take, we can get the most, let's say, I cannot say all the things, but the most of the things to be covered. So then, because we know that uh, to get the really the autonomous driving, so then the vehicle, during the autonomous driving, it's needed to have uh, ACLD function, the functionalities, which means, and uh, the, for the perception, so then even the running in the some kind of couple or ten or maybe a couple of ten or millions of the hours, the system should not have uh, one single failure. So then to have the lighter in combined with the radar and the camera, this is uh, we can achieve a really really uh, safety a safe the perception the system. So then this is what we do believe 
and uh, the uh, current uh, uh, let's say the active safety sensors of the radar and the camera plus the new the lidar. So then, because before, because the LiDAR is has have quite a high cost, now we are reduced the cost to really an acceptable level. So then, with this the low cost of the LiDAR product together with the camera and the radar, we believe we can really, really achieve affordable the perception solutions for the autonomous driving. Well, that's good, uh, and uh, it's good to hear that. But again, I think the the critical element uh, of that is uh, showing up is is the dealing with the stationary objects that are perceived in the in the lane ahead, and um, exactly. and, and so that's uh, moving objects. It's 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 great because uh, you know moving objects. It's a car. You stay behind it, and so on, and uh, that's very good. But the stationary objects are the ones. Uh, that uh, that have really caused havoc uh, <laughs> to date on these systems, and is really to me the uh, the central focus of what we'll be discussing a little bit later with respect to the National Transportation Safety Board's uh, report um, findings uh, a couple of days ago on the um, uh, wine crash in uh, on 101 in in uh, California. So. Uh, thank you for that uh, clarification there. We'll continue in just a moment, but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor this week, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol M-O-T-O. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. If you're an investor looking to spread your risk, ETFs can be a good way to do that, and they let you invest in a category of stocks that are of particular interest to you. Uh, we're focused, as you know, on transportation and mobility, and so is the MOTO ETF. So it is worth your time to investigate. Moving on, Alan, the California Department of Motor Vehicles is out with the 2019 reporting from companies involved with testing autonomous vehicles on public roads. They include numbers on how often human drivers had to intervene and... Uh, those are referred to as disengagements. So tell us your reaction to what's come out so yes, far. Yes, uh, it seems as if nobody likes the disengagement reports because I guess everybody is sort of worried whether or not uh, somebody's trying to game the system or something like that. Um, uh, and it is uh, somewhat a shame uh, that uh, the testers of this technology are asked to uh, only uh, provide miles driven and uh, disengagements uh, and because that's what the California regulations require. So they just report that even though everyone who tests knows exactly what happened uh, uh, before and after the disengagements and internally they well know whether or not this disengagement was, oh my goodness, we saved uh, the vehicle from crashing, or oh, uh, the vehicle was doing just fine, thank you, uh, but uh, the driver was being uh, overly cautious and disengaged, or disengaged for another reason that is not associated with safety. So, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, <clears throat> the California regulations don't require 
uh, the testers to go to that level of specificity. So therefore, uh, one doesn't know when one reports a number whether or not uh, this, is a, this, this is a good number or a bad number. Again, if you're doing testing, you should want to find situations in which you do have disengagements, uh, the difficult situations, the things that you didn't know about, the things that your your system uh, isn't uh, isn't capable of handling, so that you can fix it, so that you can go in there and and improve it and make it so that the next time you go out there and encounter that situation, there isn't a disengagement. Uh, each per each entity that is doing testing in California knows that, uh, uh, but uh, since they are not asked to report that, they don't. Uh, so uh, they report one number, and just like when you try to report one number associated with anything without the details that go around it, uh, uh, there's an opportunity for those who want to gain the game the system to gain the system or to basically just uh, not provide uh, the real information. Uh, the whole objective of, of this is, is to, uh, of the testing is to identify uh, the operational design domain in which you could operate, in which you can then present to, to your board and your lawyers uh, the, the facts that in fact your system is not safe to operate in such a, a uh, operational design domain, and you can actually go into business and start offering service without a driver. And no one is going to go out there and offer a service in an area in which uh, they're going to crash. So in a sense, the safety piece of this thing, which is really the implications of the, of the disengagements, the implication of the disengagements is to, again, learn what we don't know uh, and to fix uh, the situations in which uh, we didn't realize that that was going to happen. Oh my goodness, let's fix it. And to create a system that is safe so that in fact one can provide the mobility uh, to the public and the public can enjoy it and improve their quality of life and be willing to pay for it. And everybody then is, is a happier camper. Uh, that's what the objective is. Uh, the objective is not just to do tests and do a report. The objective is to get to a point in which there is sufficient confidence in the technology such that it, uh, people will use it, uh, will use it in a, in a welcoming environment, will be happy to use it, happy to pay for it, uh, and be um, a satisfied customers. That can only happen if it is safe. And it can only be affordable if you don't have a chauffeur in there, if you don't have a, a, uh, an attendant. So if this technology is going to be successful, it's going to be successful only if we actually go out, uh, find all the situations uh, that could cause a, a crash, improve the system so that it is fundamentally safe. So in, in a nutshell, it's really hard to determine uh, just how meaningful these individual reports are from the companies because it depends on on what's been going on there. 
Right. It depends on the details. High disengagement rates is very successful. Look, we found all those situations where our system didn't work. We, we uh, got it data about it and we fixed it. Okay. That is really valuable. You don't want to go test stuff that you know that the system's going to work. I mean, who are you trying to, to fool? Nobody wants to waste their time doing that unless they're trying to flip the company. Okay. But, you know, uh, whoever's looking to buy it is, is going to have do their due diligence and they'll figure out that you, that you were faking it. The objective of the testing is to find the corner cases, to find the situations where, my goodness, this doesn't work. So that in, if, if you can't fix it, then you avoid those situations. And, but you get out there and provide mobility. Maybe you don't provide mobility everywhere. You only provide it in places in which you're confident that, that in fact, you can deliver the service safely. Because if you go out there and provide the service and you crash, then you do exactly what, what happens to you is what happened to Uber when they crashed. Uh, they lost, what, $60 billion in market valuation? Whatever. Russ Mitchell at the Los Angeles Times this week reported on the issue of who owns autopilot data. Uh, he cites uh, the case of the driver of a Tesla Model 3 in California who crashed while using autopilot. And while Tesla claimed the driver was to blame, not the technology, it would not release the data showing exactly what happened to, uh, to the driver's attorney. So there's a lawsuit. And, Alan, you're quoted in the story here uh, saying that data should not be withheld. It shouldn't be without. My goodness, uh, to me, safety is, is every in everybody's interest. And if somebody ha has data that basically describes a situation in which these systems are challenged or even their own system is challenged and needs to be fixed, they should publish that so that everybody can fix it. These companies should not be competing on safety. They should be cooperating on safety. They can compete on other things, productivity, price, all sorts of other things. If these systems are not safe, they will be shut down. They, they will never go to market. The market valuation of any of this technology is going to be zero. So it's in everybody's interest for them to be safe. And until they are safe, their valuation should be zero because they're not providing any, any return to, to quality of life or to society. The objective of these things is to improve the quality of life, to have consumers either buy them in their vehicles or to use the vehicles that have them on board uh, and consume that mobility because it's better than what they can provide for themselves. That's when there's value that's delivered. Uh, and so it is, and that will not be delivered if these aren't safe. We're the Max 8s right now, the 737 Max 8s. They're parked in the desert. Why? Because the perception is that they're not safe. What's the value of those? Zero. 
What's going to be the value of these things if they crash? What's the value of these things if 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 uh, Tesla continues to keep all the the very valuable data on how people are using their systems and where they tend to crash and not crash and where they work and don't work and under which situations they work and don't work? Keeping that to themselves is not doing anybody any good because it, that information given to one of Tesla's competitors who doesn't have it goes out there, puts that system out there, and then creates a, 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 a an anxiety against these systems, a, a, a feeling of, un, of lack of safety. Guess what? Tesla's valuation is going to go through the floor. So in a sense... You know, this is where cooperation should be. Now, uh, you know, there are antitrust laws that have to be dealt with and so on and so forth. I've argued in the, in the past that, that we should have hold harmless situations associated with this, that the data associated with the, the driving behavior and the situations associated with an individual, if made if made public, if distributed, could not be used against that person. Okay, so if it shows that in fact I ran a red light, the Princeton police shouldn't be able to get this these data and say, "Oh no, not give Kornhauser a ticket for running a red light." Otherwise, uh, you know that that's part of the hold harmless aspect of this. You know how far that's proceeded or that concept has proceeded is, of course, not too far. But in dealing with safety. There should be, uh, we should we should have such situations. We should be able to deal with the antitrust aspects of these kinds of things and basically uh, go as, as a community, as, as an industry, uh, to make the whole industry safe. Again, if these aren't safe, this is a necessary condition. It's not a sufficient condition. It's a necessary condition. These aren't safe, market value zero. I truly agree. So then, but the for your opinion. So for example, so then now there are a lot of the uh, OEMs or a lot of the uh, developers that they claim. So then they do the uh, hundreds or the millions of the miles for the testing. So then this company is doing this. The other company is also doing something something similar. So then there are there, there are a lot of different uh, uh, let's say the corner cases funded. So then if those data can be uh, cross shared, so then to the public so then everyone can do not need to uh, do the same test to do to uh, or let's say to examine the same the problems the same situation so then uh, with this kind of the big amount of the data is uh, cross shared between the different the companies so then uh, for a really really a safety perception a safety uh, the system can be developed much much faster and much much easier Alan, you referred to this before. The The NTSB is out with a report on the 2018 Tesla crash that killed Walter Huang, uh, a father of two. Uh, the investigation showed he was not paying attention to the road, was playing a video game while relying on autopilot, and that led the chairman of the NTSB, uh, Robert Sumwalt, to say, if you own a car with partial automation, you do not own a self-driving car. Don't pretend that you do. Uh, he went on to to point to a lack of system safeguards. This is uh, the on the automakers to to prevent foreseeable misuses of technology. There are no 
driverless cars on the market in the world today. You can't buy one. They don't exist. So anybody that has any of this technology has a technology that requires the driver to pay attention all the time. Okay, and it's great that the NTSB chairman went out there and said, "Look, this is this is this is fundamental to to, to get a driver's license in the United States. You you have to have some amount of intelligence. You can't be a child. You can't assume. Oh my goodness, I didn't understand or didn't know." Maybe fundamentally, everybody needs to get driver's license again, or the DMVs need to send out saying, look, whatever you're driving, you have to maintain and pay attention continuously. You can't sleep. You can't drink. You can't, you can't play uh, video games. Uh, you can't jump in the back seat. You, uh, no. You're putting yourself at risk and you're putting everybody else at risk. Yeah, the That's the technology we have out there. Okay. And there should be, there's no question about that. Now, if everybody wants to turn all this stuff off, if you don't, for sure, as we've argued, as we said here, GM in, in their super cruise, brilliant to put the, 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 um, the, um, uh, system in to make sure that in fact you're paying attention in the eye tracker as part of the operation you don't you don't pay attention to the road ahead the system turns off okay pulls over to the side of the road and turns off and says hey until you decide to to behave uh you can't have your toy uh you can't have your candy uh, maybe people need to be treated like that uh but uh, you know it's it's no excuse as you know, I don't want to be flippant, but uh, in some sense, if I'm driving a 55 Chevy and I let go of the steering wheel and the, and the road turns and the, and the car goes all over an embankment and kills me, uh, does it mean that now General Motors is at fault because, uh, because they're the car that uh, the car didn't turn or something like that? I just let go of the steering wheel. I'm at fault. That's, that's my stupidity. That, that's my misbehavior. Uh, in some sense, uh, one wonders whether or not uh, Tesla really should be held uh, uh, to uh, to blame here. Yes, of course, they named it autopilot. A lot of people have complained. I've complained about the name autopilot in this thing. It, it implies that it's an automatic system. Uh, autopilot is in airplanes. Nobody, no pilot turns on autopilot in an airplane and then goes to sleep. Autopilot in an airplane has continuous human monitoring of the system while it's on. Same thing with, 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 the, with the situation in the Tesla. It doesn't allow you to play games. And to play games and not pay attention in, in an operational design domain in a place where you've experienced that the system doesn't work well, I don't know what's going on with people who, who do that. I mean, really? If I, I don't know, I would hope that somebody uh, is, is, is vigilant enough that if they encounter a, a problem with, with a system, that the next time uh, they, uh, they encounter that situation, they're very vigilant. 
maybe the first time you approach a, a hot flame on the stove, you might burn your finger, but you don't run. And, and next time you uh, you approach that stove, uh, you start putting your, your your finger back into the fire. You remember that. I don't know. It's really strange what happened in this crash. And uh, the, the real part of this is that, that the crash, there was a crash of a Prius uh, some 21 days earlier with a human driver there. And if one looks at the striping that is there in this gorge that is supposed to have cross-hatching striping in it, which it doesn't, and that the lane markings on it are worn so that they're very confusing, the fact that, that the system was confused by, uh, you know, which lane and what lane they should be in, is it all not surprising? They would confuse uh, an alert human. So in a sense, uh, you know, California DOT and the rest of the DOTs in this country need to put good paint and good crosshatching and on, on roads, uh, not for autopilot, but for us for the Prius driver who crashed into their, uh, to save that person uh, who had crashed into their uh, weeks earlier. Uh, geez, uh, how much does paint cost? Come on, uh, don't build in, you know, one of the lanes of the freeways and, and you'll have plenty of money to, to, to pay for the lane striping. Um, but of course, that's not very, um, elegant and, and and chic to be, uh, you know, striping roads as opposed to building, uh, you know, 12 layered uh, overpasses and underpasses and bridges and, and so on. So, of course, the traffic engineer is not very thrilled about just paint, would prefer to design roadways, but... Um, come on. Uh, so that's that's another element of this, this crash uh, that was highlighted by the NTSB and, and needs to be improved. We need much better maintenance of, of, of striping uh, on roadways uh, throughout the United States, uh, not only in California and New Jersey, too. And the NTSB, I think, also pointed out that the, the, the damage from that earlier crash uh, what, they, what they call the attenuator, the crash attenuator, wasn't repaired, and uh, that possibly led to the severity of, of this. Failure. Right. Of course, if the attenuator would have been there, then, then, uh, then, uh, as as the report points out, uh, the likelihood of a death occurring would would be much much reduced. Uh, but but the attenuators, you know. It's expensive to, to repair an attenuator. It's very inexpensive to put paint down there so that, in fact, uh, one doesn't go and hit it. And, of course, the other you know, problem that occurred here is, is that while the, the, uh, it looks that, well, the finding is, is that, uh, is that uh, autopilot got confused with, uh, with the lane striping, it also, the automated emergency braking system didn't go on. So while, uh, yes, uh, it gets confused by striping, in the lane ahead is a stationary object that it disregarded. Sure. I am essentially certain that the autopilot system saw the butt end of that Jersey barrier, saw that it was stationary, 
and disregarded it. Okay. It's not that it didn't see it. Okay. It disregarded it. Why? Because it classified it as, as a, um, as an object uh, of low probability, it's probably a phantom object, and it assumed that it was a phantom um, uh, um, uh, false alarm uh, object, and it classified it as a phantom or however they do their classification of, uh, of objects that it has low probability of, of actually uh, being such a thing, and it disregarded it. That's a shame. They should fix that. Now, apparently, they've gone in and tried to fix it, and uh, and Steve Still of the uh, University of Buffalo has gone uh, driving uh, in, around Buffalo and near the Tesla um, uh, exit of, of one of the roadways, uh, the Tesla Highway uh, exit. Um, there's an overhead sign and now the overhead sign is, is not recorded as a, as a phantom object and the brakes go on as you approach it, uh, because it doesn't properly measure the fact that you can pass under, there's enough clearance underneath it to pass underneath there, or it seems as if that's, that's what is happening. And so, um, um, uh, they haven't fixed it well yet. Lele, I think you wanted to join in. Uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, the, the, let's say the infra, the infrastructure. So then, this is very, very important for the autonomous driving, or for the even not only for the autonomous driving, for the, uh, the let's say some basic ADAS functions. This is, uh, this is true. But also, it's from my opinion, it's uh, the, from the car maker or the let's say or the autonomous driving the system. So then, and to keep let's say to keep the uh, doesn't matter what kind of the condition and so then it should be always uh, the drive safe and the detector safe this is uh, uh, most important so because when we design the autonomous driving the system so normally we need to think about the, the fail safe the fail operation so then for example as, as you mentioned as alan has mentioned so uh, the uh, the uh, super close they have the driver monitoring system so when the system uh, to, to say the uh, driver maybe is falling asleep, so then the, the safety system should be uh, at, let's say activate to to drive the car to a safe uh, the safe location to stop the car and not do the autonomous driving anymore. So then also the accident uh, the, from 2018. So then that is because it had the, the accident happened before. So then basically we have this kind of the database. So then and uh, the car, the system, so then the detection system, it should use this uh, this the data to train the, the to train the detection better. So the, even if the infrastructure is not uh, uh, the, the proper caped. And the system should be also is uh, should be still able to detect this uh, failure. If there are some the failure, if there are some the uh, thing which the system cannot detect uh, this thing. Uh, for example, the uh, uh, let's say the rundown painting on the road. If the system cannot detect that, uh, let's say very accurately, the system should be uh, able should uh, give the driver uh, some kind of the, ind the indication to say now the system cannot drive anymore. You have to take uh, uh, the, uh, the driving activity. 
So then this kind of the, uh, let's say the fuel safe the system has to be integrated into the uh, the vehicle to to really to make the uh, the autonomous driving or the uh, let's say the uh, um, the, the uh, assistant driving it's more safe. This is the most important. I think the the system has to make sure it doesn't matter in what kind of condition if. The, the condition is, uh, uh, let's say, over the limit of the system's ability. So then the system either to indicate to the to the passenger to the passenger or to the driver, so to change the driving activities. But the accident before quite often did not happen. So then this is a doesn't this doesn't mean the uh, um, let's say uh, the, uh, the the car should take the responsibility or the OEM should take this responsibility. But it's rather it's a, the um, I'll say the the car or the system should should indicate that the driver this is the most is the most important because the level three driving the the uh, the, the driver. It's uh, let's say it's um uh the the four safe or the four op fuel operation and the uh, uh, the system to the to the vehicle system. But if the vehicle cannot uh, tell the driver to take over the drive, so then when is something happened, so then the responsibilities are still on the car. This is basically my opinion. Yeah, I um, well, I guess I'll I'll quibble with that a little bit. I I, I think. Um, <clears throat> Level three systems um, will never be uh, will never appear in the marketplace. I'll ma I'll make that uh, outlandish system um, uh, uh, statement. Um, um, if these systems are re required to be uh, so good uh, that it's able to warn uh, the the um, uh, the driver in advance. Uh, then it means that, in fact, it knows where it could operate itself without a driver and will therefore operate and provide driverless mobility in those areas uh, way before uh, any OEM is going to take the responsibility uh, of allowing uh, some, some individual to uh, take uh, the vehicle that uh, who knows when they bought it, how many years earlier, uh, take that vehicle who knows where and just uh, await um, uh, a not notification. Uh, that uh, amount of liability exposure to an OEM is going to be so great uh, uh, that in fact no OEM will put it on the market. Um, uh, so uh, we're basically, I think, in, in, in certainly the, the near-term future uh, in a position in which, uh, yes, there'll be driver um, uh, assistance systems, uh, a la autopilot and uh, and um, and GM's version, uh, but the driver must retain uh, uh, must maintain um, vigilance over the driving function, and it's the driver's responsibility and the driver's liability as to how they use or don't use the system. Um, or on the other hand, uh, they're going to put these uh, these systems out uh, for some fleet operator to use um, and to provide mobility in an area in which the fleet operator is confident that in fact the system will work, uh, doesn't need a driver, and in fact uh, doesn't include steering wheels or, or pedals and doesn't permit uh, the passenger 
to intervene. Uh, if I fly on United Airlines, I can't go up and say to the pilot, move over. I now want to fly the airplane. Uh, the system does it for me. Now, whether or not that system in involves a human or not a human, I think is irrelevant. It's that, uh, it's that the, the traveling public is not permitted to go in there and interfere with the operation. That's left to the professionals. That's left to the fleet manager. That's left to the uh, automated system to do. Uh, uh, individuals are just asked to uh, enjoy the ride and, and be provided that mobility. So that's the situation on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, the situation is which uh, the driver has responsibility uh, to use it or not use it. it it's on his or her uh, dime or, or liability as to what happens. Uh, they're the responsible entity, uh, not the, the manufacturer. The situation in between in which the manufacturer is somehow um, responsible uh, to, uh, to make sure that, uh, that their systems uh, are used uh, properly uh, by individuals and is held um, to that liability, um, I think is untenable. Um, if, if General Motors uh, was held responsible uh, for all the, the crashes that occur with, uh, with um, uh, General Motors vehicles in a year, um, um, they would definitely be bankrupt. Uh, the auto industry would have never uh, uh, evolved. Uh, that is, uh, that is just a, um, a, an untenable uh, uh, situation. Uh, so that's basically the way I see it. Uh, so we're either going to have to be responsible in their use, and it's our uh, it's our responsibility. Uh, or we're going to be uh, chauffeured and it's the system's responsibility, but we can't intervene in terms of that operation. We can't go in there and say, hey, go faster, go faster, or run that red light. Interesting perspective, Alan. Moving on, a couple of other things to get to. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has partially suspended the U.S. operations of France's Easy Mile, that after a passenger in Ohio was injured while riding in one of its self-driving shuttles, Easy Mile can continue operating its shuttles while uh, NHTSA continues investigating, but the company cannot carry any passengers. So Easy Mile currently operates uh, self-driving shuttles in, in a few U.S. cities, including Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, and there's self-driving shuttles with an attendant, and apparently in this situation, the attendant did did a disengagement, and I I guess in the process of that dis disengagement, um, it applied the brakes uh, uh, aggressively and so aggressively that a passenger slipped out of um, a seat and and fell and and hurt him or herself. I'm not sure. Um, the gender, but um, in a situation. So, you know, this is this is part of the testing and this part of the situations of learning, oh, well, what was that situation? Why was were the brakes then applied so aggressively such that uh, such that uh, uh, someone would slip out of a, a seat? 
Uh, does that imply that these systems are going to need to have seat belts in them? I, I would end up suspecting so. Uh, are there other restrictions? If you're not going to, if you're going, if your system is going to require a high decel, not just a high deceleration rate. What's more important is what's the jerk rate, and 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 the rate of change of of, of acceleration, and that's what causes um, the instability, the inability to maybe grab a handle or something like that, and not slip out of uh, the floor. And heaven forbid, if you have standees, uh, for standees, uh, you you can't uh, uh, have high rates of change of of deceleration. Uh, so um, uh, this is all part of the learning process, part of the disengagement process. Uh, these systems have to operate safely. When we uncover situations in which we didn't anticipate, uh, we need to fix them. And so that's what um, uh, this situation is. Uh, here, this is a situation in which the vehicle, I think, was going seven miles an hour. So um, uh, we have a ways to go. There is an enormous amount of development that still needs to be done. Maybe some people have already done it. Maybe um, Waymo has done it and they don't have this problem. Maybe Zooks also, maybe Aurora, maybe Ford Argo, maybe GM Cruise. Uh, but um, in a sense, uh, um, that's what the, the whole testing and disengagement is all about. And at some point, one also has to test with uh, the, uh, with drivers. I would also like to point out that uh, we—I don't believe that the um, <clears throat> that the California Public Utilities Commission has come out with um, their uh, uh, report in terms of um, the uh, operation of um, of um, vehicles uh, to to move people. Um, <laughs> I think they're the disengagements and, and they don't require disengagement reports. I think that's the place where disengagement reports are most necessary. If you, if you've, as an operator, defined an operational design domain in which this is where you want to do business, in other words, provide mobility for people, then in fact, you have to provide that mobility as safely as you possibly can. And if you have safety drivers on board and they are disengaging the, the system when there are people driving, uh, riding in that operational design domain, it means that you are not safe enough probably to remove those drivers. And until we get to a point in which we remove the drivers, there's no value in this. There's little value in this technology. Yes, there's some safety value in terms of keeping drivers from misbehaving, but there's no mobility value. We're doing all this not to test. We're doing all this to provide a, an enhanced, affordable mobility for especially those who haven't ac had access uh, to uh, automobile, their own personal automobile, be they the young, the old, the poor, uh, the handicapped, uh, but uh, also maybe the people who prefer not to drive their automobile, to share a ride, uh, to, be, to be chauffeured uh, from here to there, as opposed to having to struggle to drive it uh, and not be able to see the lines on the road and so on and so forth. 
That's the value of this. And we have to get there. And again, unless we do it safely, we're not going to get there. And so we have to first do it safely and then uh, create a welcoming environment for this technology. And then maybe uh, it can deliver its value to the communities. That's a a perfect lead in to uh, talk about the the upcoming Smart Driving Car Summit, the fourth annual Princeton Smart Driving Car Summit coming up May 19th through the 21st, Alan. And you've got an agenda that really focuses on these issues. Yeah, it absolutely focuses on those issues. And I'd like to say we had a, a very good meeting in in, 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 in the mayor's office of, of Trenton yesterday. Uh, we look we look as it looks as if uh, Trenton, you know, will uh, want to create a welcoming environment for this technology to come and provide it that that community with with mobility that that many of its citizens desperately need would substantially improve uh, the quality of life and 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 look at, at at the summit to to really discuss how we create a welcoming environment uh, for this technology so that uh, those that are developing it will come to uh, Trenton and provide uh, mobility to its citizenry. Uh, and provide it safely, and uh, and if they provide it safely and in a welcoming environment, uh, deliver it uh, with shared rides, it will be affordable, and allow those entities to both profit as well as uh, deliver real uh, uh, quality of life improvements uh, to the uh, capital city of of New Jersey, and uh, and possibly then move on out and do it for the whole county and the whole state. Uh, we need places to get started, uh, places other than Chandler, Arizona. That's kind of nice there. But, uh, geez, um, there are, uh, uh, you know, 40 to 50 million people living in the New York metropolitan area. Take out Manhattan. Don't want to go there. Uh, but the rest of the communities where such mobility would be uh, would be would really improve uh, the quality of life to to, uh, to substantial number of people, and uh, begin to develop de- deliver mobility that is uh, that is affordable, sustainable, um, environmentally responsive, and so on. So um, you know these are there are win 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 wins all over the place. If we can do it safely, necessary condition, and if we can welcome it into our communities and see it as a as a as an improvement in the quality of life and enhancement of our communities, rather than as an invasion from some alien forces from uh, Alpha Centauri or something. <laughs> Smartdrivingcar.com is the place to go for more information about the summit. And we should point out, Alan, that the governor of Michigan uh, has now created an office of mobility initiatives, including the appointment of a mobility officer. Uh, coordinating the efforts in that state. Yeah, and and they did it outside the Department of Transportation, which is very interesting because this is associated with mobility. This is associated with a customer service. This is not just a a provision of of concrete and and roadways and have everybody go out there and go at it themselves. Uh, This is really focusing on on providing a, a service and um, not that departments of transportation aren't good uh, service providers. Um, uh, they have probably other interests. Uh, 
uh, more important interests. Uh, but uh, yes, it's very interesting. And of course, uh, you know, Michigan, um, given that uh, it's uh, its position in, in the automobile industry really should be focused on mobility and how to move people safely, um, environmentally responsibly, uh, and, um, and affordably uh, from where they are to where they want to go when they want to do it. Absolutely. Well, we want to remind our listeners that our sponsor this week is the Smart ETFs Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. They're making it possible. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. More information available at MOTOETF.com. We really want to take a, uh, the opportunity to thank uh, Lele Shinohara of RoboSense for taking the time to be here with us. Congratulations on your success, Lele, and uh, really great to have you with us. Thank you very much. Lele, great to have you with us, and uh, best of luck, and let's hope we get over this uh, this hysteria associated with um, this uh, virus. Although, um, given that I just went through uh, a bacterial uh, bacterial version of pneumonia, uh, I don't wish the, uh, the, um, the viral version on anybody. So, um, a minor, minor bump in the road uh, as we move all this technology forward. Yeah, sure. Of course. And for more information, uh, you can go to robosense.ai. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, or you can ask your smart speaker to play us. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being with us.